I want you to think for a moment about marriage from the enemy's perspective. If a healthy society consists of healthy churches, and healthy churches are built upon the foundation of healthy families, And if healthy families are dependent upon healthy marriages, where do you think Satan is going to attack? He wants to destroy our culture. He goes after marriage, right? Because then he can disrupt and destroy the family. And then he can cause churches to be spiritually weak and anemic, making no impact in the culture at large. And I believe with all of my heart, that's precisely what is happening in our day. Satan is leveling all of his forces at marriage. He's leveling his forces at the institution of marriage in our culture. The biblical idea that that marriage is a one-flesh union between a man and a woman until death should part them, is ridiculed in our land today. As a matter of fact, if you believe what the Bible says about marriage, you are chastised and marginalized. But not only is Satan attacking the institution, the biblical idea of marriage, Satan is attacking individual marriages. And everywhere we look, there is carnage. And so we must, as believers in Christ, come to a place where we say, other than our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, my marriage has the utmost priority in my life. We've got to get to a place where we say, marriage is where we will place our focus. We've got to... We've got to stand against the schemes and the wiles of the enemy. And I want you to understand this morning that there's some good news. Jesus will make a difference in your marriage if you surrender to him. Jesus will make a difference in your marriage if you surrender to him. And the Bible shares with us what biblical marriage is all about. And so I want to turn your attention to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, as we continue our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to just read two verses, verses 18 and 19. And I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, truth with no mixture of error. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Two verses, but there's so much in these two verses. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your hand of blessing would be upon us this morning as we study your word. Holy Spirit of God, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the truths of this passage And give us the grace to to apply them 
and give us the strength and the wisdom to obey them. Lord, I pray that because the word of God is preached in this place this morning, lives will be transformed. Have your way in our midst. Lord, I ask that you would establish my steps in your word today. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've worked our way through the book of Colossians, we've seen that in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of first century believers in the city of Colossae, that he begins by pointing the Colossians to all of the the, the wonderful doctrines of the Christian faith. He spends two chapters sharing with them who Jesus is, what Jesus Christ has done, what it means to be redeemed by him. And he just unpacks that in, in wonderful, rich, deep verses. And then in chapter 3, there's a shift where Paul begins to discuss the difference that Jesus Christ makes in the lives of believers. Paul's saying, if you have been united with Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he's going to make a difference in your life. And we've discussed the difference that Jesus makes in the area of purity. We've discussed the difference that Jesus makes in the area of relationships. Last week we discussed the difference that Jesus makes when it comes to our worship. And today we're going to study the difference that Jesus makes in our marriages. And to unpack these two verses, there are Two questions I want to pose and then answer from the biblical text. The first question is this. What are the Lord's instructions for our marriage? What does God want to happen in our marriages? And the second question is, how do we live out these roles on a day-by-day basis? So what's the Lord want for our marriages and how do we live up to what the Lord wants? So here's the first question I want to answer from the text. What are the Lord's instructions for our marriage. Number one, and this is for the wives, his instructions are gracious respect. Gracious respect. Look what it says there in verse 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that phrase, fitting in the Lord, is important. It means, wives, you ought to submit to your husbands because you're in the Lord now. And Jesus makes a difference in your life, and Jesus will give you the strength, the wherewithal to obey this command to submit to your husbands. Now, the word submit is the word hupotasso. It means simply to submit to the authority of another. It's used over in Romans chapter 13 when Paul writes of, of the need for believers to submit to the governing authorities. It's the same word. It's, it's respecting submitting to authority. And so... What does it mean for the wife to submit to the husband? It means to submit to your husband is to graciously respect his authority. Not begrudgingly, but graciously respect his authority in the home. God has given your husband, ladies, the responsibility of ultimate leadership in the home. It's his responsibility. God has called him to that role. So it's your role to submit to that respect for authority in the home, and to support his leadership in the home. It does not mean that the wife sits back with her arms crossed and says, well, do your thing, husband. I'm just going to sit and watch. It means that the wife uses all of her resources, all of her intelligence, all of her wisdom, all of her strength to come along beside her husband in full support of his leadership and to help him move the family in a God-honoring 
direction. That's what the idea of biblical submission is all about. Now, I want to debunk some ideas about submission that are out there, even in the church today. The first thing I want to debunk is this. The idea of submission has nothing to do with ability. The fact that God has given the husband the role of leadership does not mean the husband has some innate ability that the wife does not have. As a matter of fact, guys, we all know our wives are smarter than us, right? I mean, we don't even have to argue about that. It's not even an issue. I mean, we understand that our wives have great ability. So this, this idea that the wife is to submit to the husband does not mean that she lacks ability. That's, that's not what it means at all. We see uh, God using women in great and mighty ways all throughout the pages of Scripture, making a major difference in the world. So it has nothing to do with ability. Also, the idea of submission has nothing to do with equality. Nothing to do with equality. Over in Galatians 3, Paul writes, There is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. In other words, at the foot of the cross, we are all equal in the eyes of God. There's not one gender better than another gender. He sees us all as equals. We are all sinners redeemed by Christ. We are all on uh, even ground at the foot of the cross. It's the idea that one gender is better than another is a false biblical idea. And this idea of submission does not mean that the husband has greater worth or value than the wife. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that husbands are to recognize that their wives are joint heirs of the grace of life. Joint heirs of the grace of life. They are, they are equal with the husband. And we know that this is the case in marriage because, listen, marriage is modeled after the Trinity. Do you know that? Marriage is modeled after the Trinity. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me very quickly. I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 3. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul writes, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Every man is to submit to the authority, the lordship of Jesus. The head of a wife is her husband, so the wife has a leadership role over his wife, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So even within the Trinity, there are roles where God the Son, Jesus, submits to the leadership, the authority of God the Father. We see this happen in his earthly ministry, where Jesus is living out obedience to God the Father. Now the Bible is clear that within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one person in essence and nature, or one, uh, one in essence and nature, when it comes to there being one God, but that oneness of God exists in three persons. And every person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all God. They're all equal. They're all eternal. There's equality in the Trinity, and yet, in the midst of that equality, there are roles within the Godhead. He says it here. The head of Christ is God. So in the same way, in a marriage... Husband and wives, they are, they're equals. But there are roles that God calls us to. And the wife call, I mean, God calls the wife to submit to the leadership of the husband. So this idea of submission has nothing to do with equality. Let me give you a third issue to debunk. The idea of submission has nothing to do with following orders. This idea, you know, I'm, the, I'm the head of the house, you know, do what I tell you, woman, right? 
That's not a biblical idea. It's not a biblical idea. And let me show you why, back in Colossians chapter 3. Look what it says there in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. So we see this idea of submission in the marriage, but there's a different word used when it speaks of the relationship of children to their parents. Look what it says in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. We'll deal with that next week. But notice the word obey and the word submit, those are different Greek words. They're not the same word. So this idea that, that your wife ought to obey you like your kids do is an unbiblical idea. They're two different words. The word obey and submit are two totally different ideas. I'm the head of the house, do what I say. That is not what the word submit means. Now, it does mean obedience when you're talking about your children, but this isn't talking about your children. It's talking about your wife. So we can't, you, we can't throw around our authority, do what I say. That's not what this word means means. So Wade, what does submission deal with? It doesn't deal with ability or equality or following orders, but the idea of submission has everything to do with roles. With roles. In any healthy organization, any healthy institution, there are well-defined roles. And if there are not well-defined roles, there's chaos. Because no one knows what they ought to be doing. And in marriage, there are well-defined roles. And the fact that there are roles does not mean one is better than the other. It just means everyone does what God calls them to do for the marriage to be healthy and happy and harmonious. And God has given the role of leadership to the husband. And he's called wives to recognize that leadership, to submit to the authority of that leadership, to come along beside that leadership and support the husband in taking the family in a God-honoring direction. That's what biblical submission is all about. They need to understand that what I've just said is highly controversial. Highly controversial in our culture today. There are some that would hear me preach a sermon and say, Who do you think you are? And you need to understand this morning, I'm not a marriage expert. I love marriage. I I love Claire, love being married. Marriage is a wonderful thing. I'm a big fan of marriage. But I'm not an expert in marriage. But you know who is? The Lord's an expert in marriage. And he's given us some very clear instructions. And these instructions, these roles, have never been rescinded. Therefore, the church today. Therefore, couples today. Therefore, believers today. And so this idea of submission has everything to do with roles. And if we are all playing our part, doing what God called us to do, we will see happy, healthy, harmonious marriages. So the, 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 the Lord has called the wife to gracious, not begrudging, but gracious respect. But guess what? The husband has a role too. Guys, you knew I was coming here, right? God has called the husband to tender love. Tender love. Look what it says in Colossians 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Men are called to love their wives with a Christ-like love. That word love there in verse 19 is not the word eros. In, in the Greek culture in the first century, they would often use the word eros and, and use it in the sense of love. And the word eros spoke of a physical love, a physical intimacy. 
It's where we get the word erotic from. And that's not the word that he uses. He doesn't use the word eros. And, and, and Paul doesn't use the word phileo, which was another word for love in the Greek culture in the first century. Phileo sp- spoke of a, a brotherly love. For example, we have the city of Philadelphia. Phila, phileo, speaks of uh, love. Adelpha, Adelphos speaks of brotherly. So Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And the word phileo spoke of a, a love between friends. That's not the word that he uses here. In verse 19, when he says, husbands, love your wives, the word is agape, agapeo. And this is the the word for God-like love, God's kind of love. Twade, what does God's kind of love look like? Well, over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we're told. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. And so husbands are called to love their wives the way that Jesus loves us. That is a tall order. And so how do we live this out? Men, how do we express love to our wives? Let me give you several thoughts here. First of all, love is expressed through sacrificial service. Sacrificial service. How does Jesus love us? He gave his life, right? He died on the cross. We sang the song, Oh, the blood. He shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. He laid down his life so you and I could be saved. He he sacrificed. So if we're going to love our wives like Christ on the church, we're going to sacrifice and serve our spouse, put their needs ahead of our own. That's what Christ-like love looks like. And so we express our love to our spouses as we serve them in a sacrificial way. We lay down our own desires, our own, our own wants, and we put our wives' uh, needs and desires and, and life ahead of our own. That's what men are called to do. Love is expressed through sacrificial service. Listen to me. Love is not about you, men. It's not about you getting what you want. It's about you laying down what you want for the good of your spouse. That's the kind of love that he's talking about here. Love is expressed through sacrificial service, Christ-like love. Also, love is expressed when you speak your wife's language. I'm not talking about English, all right? Years ago, I read the book Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman, and it was so helpful to me, so practical, and I still use it all the time today. In counseling, and premarital counseling, I use this idea of the, the five love languages. And, and, it, and what Dr. Chapman says in this book is really simple, but really profound. Dr. Chapman says that we all have a love language, a way that we like for people to express their love to us. And his premise is that the language that we like to be spoken to, the language we like people to speak to us, is language we think they want to hear from us. So there are five love languages that he identifies, and this is a pretty, a pretty spot-on list. The five love languages are words of affirmation. That's the first one. You know, people feel loved when they are told that they're loved and they are great. The next one's quality time. 
these are folks that feel loved when, when their loved one is spending quality time with them, eyeball to eyeball time with them. Others' love language is gifts, receiving gifts. You know, they, they don't have to be anything big, but just a little happy to know, let me know you're thinking about me. People that have this love language, you know, just want a gift. They want to know that they're being thought of. The next one is physical touch. Some folks are, are real touchy-feely, right? And they don't feel loved if their loved one's not holding their hand or sitting by them or have their arm around them or give them a hug when they get home. They're not getting that physical touch. They don't, they don't feel loved. That's their love language. And, and the last one he identifies is acts of service. There are some folks that feel loved when their loved one does things for them. Acts of service. So here's what he says. We like to speak in the love language we like to be spoken to. So, for example... My love language is words of affirmation, which, by the way, is a lot of guys. I like, I like for Claire to tell me how great I am. I love you, I love you, you know, great husband, good sermon. I, I, I love that stuff, right? I'm a words of affirmation guy. I feel loved when Claire gives me words of affirmation. So I just naturally assume that if I'm going to show Claire I love her, I'm going to speak to her words of affirmation. That's not her language. Claire's a quality time person. So I can tell her I love her all day long, but if I'm not spending time with her, she doesn't feel loved. Got that? And, and here's what he says in the book. Couples can miss each other because they're speaking different languages. And so our job as men, men, is to figure out what our wife's love language is and then speak it. So wait, is that biblical 1 Peter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understand what makes her tick. You ever heard someone say, I, just, I don't understand women? Listen, biblically, that's not an option. We're commanded to understand our wives. Understand what makes them feel loved. So you figure out what their love language is, and you speak it. It's quality time, you spend time with them. If it's physical touch, you hold their hand. If it's gifts, you get them a happy on the way home, right? You speak their language. So let me just do a quick, quick little survey with you. Ready? Five love languages. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, physical touch, acts of service. Men, when I count to three, I want you to turn to your wife and tell them what their love language is. You ready? One, two, three. Tell them. Okay, ladies, were they right? Raise your hand if they were right. Okay, raise your hand if they missed it a little bit. All right, okay, all right. We got some work to do, right? Because our wives feel love when we express to them uh, our love for them in their language. There's another thing here. Not only is love expressed through sacrificial service and speaking your wife's love language, but third, love is expressed with, when gentleness and forgiveness replace bitterness. Look what it says in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That word harsh speaks of a harshness produced by bitterness. A lot of men, instead of communicating with their wives and talking about things that frustrate them, they just let it simmer below the surface, and they grow resentful, and they grow bitter because they don't want to talk about things and share their feelings, right? And so instead of dealing with issues, men just kind of let it, let it 
let it boil. And over time, if that happens, men can find themselves being bitter and even harsh towards their wife. And Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, love your wives, don't be harsh. So what's the opposite of harshness? What's the the opposite of bitterness? Gentleness. And forgiveness if they've let you down. Because guess what? Your spouse will let you down. And guess what? You've let them down too. So forgiveness has to play a major role in our marriages. The, the husband is commanded here, don't be harsh. Now you've got to understand, this was revolutionary in the first century. In the first century, women were to be seen and not heard. A man would not even speak to a woman in public to give her that dignity and respect. Women were seen in, in many cultures as second-class citizens. And here comes a letter from the Apostle Paul. And the leader of the church in Colossae gathers everyone around and begins to read the letter. And he reads what we know as verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. That would have been shocking in the first century to hear. This Christian ethic... This Christian way of doing things was going to turn the world upside down. Starting in homes. Starting with marriages. Now, I can just imagine men in that church in Colossae saying, what did he just say? Agape your wives? and Don't live with bitterness and harshness toward them? Don't treat them like a second class citizen? Peter says they're a fellow heir of the grace of life, to be honored, to be placed on a pedestal. This was revolutionary, countercultural kind of talk. This is what God calls us to. I love this quote from Warren Wiersbe. He writes, A wife really has little difficulty in submitting to a husband who loves her. She knows he seeks the very best for her and that he will not do anything to harm her. The husband's love for his wife is seen in his sacrifice for her and the wife's love for her husband is seen in her submission to him. Listen, where there are sacrifice and submission in an atmosphere of love, you will find a happy home. You want a happy marriage? A healthy marriage? A harmonious marriage? Practice Colossians 3 verses 18 and 19. Because that's the way God designed marriages to work. So if you look there in your notes, the role of the wife to submit and the role of a husband to love wonderfully complement each other. It really is this simple. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, there's an extended passage of Scripture about marriage. And Paul uh, describes marriage as a picture of the gospel, Christ's love for the church. And look what he says over in Ephesians 5, verse 33. He's going to sum up all that he said about marriage. He gives us one verse that says it all. Ephesians 5, verse 33, he writes, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It really is that simple. Love and respect. Respect and love. That's the way a marriage is happy and healthy and harmonious. 
We see, here's what happens. When a wife is submitting to the authority of her husband and the husband is loving his wife like Christ loves the church, it's like each person in the marriage is trying to outdo the other in putting their spouse ahead of themselves. The wife comes along and says, you're the leader, I, I submit you to your authority, I want to I come along beside you and encourage you and bless you in that. And the husband says, I'm going to love you like Christ, I'm going to put your needs ahead of myself, and, and they're trying to outdo each other. And that's a good place to be in, in a marriage. Trying to outdo each other in sacrificing for the other. Trying to outdo each other in putting the other's needs ahead of their own. That's a good place to be in marriage. So the role of the wife to submit, the role of the husband to love, wonderfully complement each other. R. Kent Hughes writes, We have seen two radical calls. One call is to wives, submission. The other is to husbands, to love as Christ loves. These cannot be read in isolation. They go together. It is unthinkably, listen, it is unthinkably absurd for a Christian husband to demand submission of his wife if he is not radically loving her. Likewise, it is errant logic for a wife who is not submissive to demand such love. These two things go together. They complement one another. Gracious respect and tender love. You say, Wade, all that sounds good. But how do you live that out on a weekly basis? I mean, what does that look like during the week when there are bills to pay and you got to get the kids dropped off over here and at this event and, you know, the dishwasher breaks down? And you, how do you, I mean, when the craziness of life hits, and it, and it does, right? We find ourselves tired and weary and frustrated. How do we live out Colossians 3, 18 and 19? Let me give you some, some, just some thoughts about what this looks like on a daily basis. First of all, you fulfill your role in the marriage as an act of worship. You can't go to Colossians 3, 18 and 19 and just lift those verses from the overall context of the chapter. If you remember... We studied the verse last week that comes right before it, verse 17, and we said that worship is not only a gathering where we preach the word and sing, but worship in God's eyes is to be a lifestyle where he has every area of our lives, right? Look what it says in verse 17. Whatever you do, including marriage, I'm adding the including marriage part. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, including marriage, in the name of the Lord Jesus so you're not just trying to make it through the day. You are fulfilling your role in the marriage as an act of worship to God. That changes everything, right? I'm not just doing this because I want to get what I want out of the marriage. I'm doing this because I want God to be honored by my obedience. I want to honor the name of Jesus by the kind of husband or the kind of wife that I am. And that's how you love Jesus. Did you know that? Over in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So if you love him, if you want to worship him, if you want to honor him, if you want to glorify him, you do it by keeping his commandments about marriage. Submission and love. So don't see your marriage, don't look at your marriage just as, you know, 
this thing I'm, I'm, I just kind of kind of deal with on a daily basis and struggle through. And, you know, some days I get what I want, some days I don't. Look at your marriage as an act of worship, and it'll change your perspective. Secondly, you fulfill your role in the marriage with God's help. With God's help. You can't obey these commandments on your own. Over in verse 12 of chapter 3, it talks about putting on our new character, our new nature. Now that we've been changed by Christ, He will help us to go in a new direction in life. We can't go in a new direction without Christ making us brand new and helping us along the way. As I was preaching earlier about submission, ladies, you might have said, you know, that's really hard. Consistently submitting to the authority, respecting, recognizing the authority of the husband is really, really tough. And you're right, it is. And you know what? God told us it would be tough. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the Lord said, because of sin entering the world, because everyone will be born with a sin nature and corrupted, there will be this conflict in, in the marriage. Where the, the husband's the leader, but the wife wants to be. And there'll be this constant struggle in the marriage. So you say, it's hard to submit. And you are right. And I would add, it is not only hard, it is impossible. Without the Lord Jesus' help. But when you let him have his way in your life, you can live consistently a life of submission before your husband. Lovingly, graciously supporting his leadership in the home. You might say as a husband, Wade, we're called to love our wives the way Jesus loves us. I mean, talk about impossible. I mean, Jesus' love is perfect, right? It's sacrificial, it's unconditional. And we're called to love our wives like that. It's impossible, and you are absolutely correct apart from Jesus. But if Jesus is having his way in your life, he will help you to grow into this. And begin to consistently love your wife the way Jesus loves you. You fulfill your role in the marriage with God's help. Every day, Lord, help me to be the spouse you have called me to be. You can't do it on your own. Let me give you a third thought here about how you live out these roles on a day-by-day basis. And this is so important. You take your failures and your conflict to the cross. You say, wait, I've blown it. As you talk about all this marriage stuff, I've blown it. Guess what? We all have. We've all blown it. Any perfect spouses in this room? I didn't think so. We've all blown it. So what do you do when you blow it? You go to the cross. And you re- you're reminded that Jesus died for those sins. And he forgives those sins. And even as a believer, when you find yourself stumbling and falling, he will cleanse your heart of those sins and restore that fellowship with God. You go to the cross to remember the grace of God for your life. Yes, you've blown it, but Jesus died for us. Amen? But listen to me. Listen to me. Oh, don't, don't miss this. Not only did Jesus die for your sins, and not only 
Does Jesus love you? But guess what? He died for your spouse's sins too. And listen to me. He loves your spouse too. And the next time you can't lay down bitterness, and you can't let go of that grudge, and you can't get over that hurt, go to the cross. And remember that Jesus died for the, for the sins of your spouse too. And if we would just spend some time at the foot of the cross, we will find healing. And we will reconnect with the love of Christ so we can then extend it to our spouse. That's the way it works. We need to spend some time surveying the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. That's what our marriages need. Yes, marriage is difficult. Yes, we fail. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we fall. Take it to the cross. Take your spouse to the cross as well. See what Jesus does. Let me give you one final thought about how you live out these roles on a day-by-day basis. You fulfill your role in the marriage with godly guidance and support. The Lord has not called us to pursue godly marriage by ourselves. He's given us a family called the church to surround us, to teach us, to encourage us, to spur us on. It says there in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. We take the word of Christ about marriage and we teach each other, and we admonish one another to obey what we've learned. We, we cheer each other on. That's what should happen in the body of Christ. We need that support. We need that encouragement. In the different lobbies, you'll find some forms with a self-addressed envelope to... Let us know that you would like marriage mentoring. A few weeks ago, we, we started this initiative called Marriage Mentoring. We've trained um, some couples to be able to take another couple into their home once a week for 10 weeks and just encourage them and, 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 and minister to them and talk about marriage from a, a biblical, godly perspective. We've got some, some couples that have been trained and they're willing and they're ready to pour into the lives of other couples that, that may be really struggling or may just need a, just, just, some, just a cheerleader. And you can take that form and fill it out and mail it back to the church and we'll get you connected with, a, with another couple that will really be an encouragement to you. Don't be, listen, don't be too proud to not fill out that form if you need it. We, we've got to get over this idea that everyone should be perfect in the church because there's no one perfect in here. Can I remind you, we're not a museum for saints. Our church is a hospital for sinners, starting with your pastor. So we've got to get over this thing that if someone knows I'm struggling, then you know, they'll really look down on me. No, we're, we, we all have struggles. Let's reach out to each other and, and, and walk with each other and help each other. And we've, 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 we've instituted this initiative because we think it's really what's best for, for marriages in our church. 
I read a book years ago by Bob Lapine called The Christian Husband. It's a great book. Bob Lapine is with Family Life Today. You hear him on the radio. I mean, he is the marriage guru. He's awesome. And I was reading that book, and he mentioned in the book that every year, at least once, he and his wife go to a counselor for what he calls marriage maintenance. Just to make sure that, that you know, there are no underlying issues that, that are simmering. Make sure they get everything out on the table and discuss where they are as a couple. And they go for this maintenance every year. And I said, Bob Lapine goes to counseling? I mean, he's the, he's the, he's the man. He's the marriage expert. And yet he sees the need for marriage maintenance. Maybe it's time we all saw the need for some marriage maintenance. And we opened up ourselves and said, we're going to let some folks help us and encourage us and speak into our lives. And so if you're at a place where you're struggling or just need some maintenance, pick up one of those forms and fill it out, put it in an envelope and get it back to us. And we will connect you with someone soon. Let me give you a closing thought. Wait, how would you sum up all of this, this information about marriage? Here it is, you ready? If you heed his instructions, Colossians 3, 18 and 19, and seek his power, you can have a happy, healthy, powerful, Christ-exalting, world-changing type of marriage. And as your marriage grows healthier and happier, your home grows healthier and happier. And as your home grows healthier and happier, your church gets stronger. And as your church gets stronger, your church begins to make an impact in this community and in this country and in this world for the glory of God. That's the way it works. It starts by drawing a line in the sand and saying, Satan, you're not going to have your way in my home. Come in real close just for a second. I want to tell you this. I'm sick and tired of Satan winning. I'm sick and tired of Satan winning when it comes to marriages in our culture, in our In Christianity. We have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. The power of the Spirit lives in us. The resurrecting, life-giving power of Jesus lives on the inside of us. We have the church. We have the Word of God. I'm tired of Satan winning. It's time for us to do what he tells us to do in our marriages. By his power. For his glory.